Good morning and Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Wonderful to have everybody. I want to thank our generous sponsors, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, and family who sponsored our Parsha series in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Le'iloi Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Monash. Also, special thank you today to Dr. Herbert Marilyn Moskowitz, who are sponsoring in memory of Aliza Ali Abbas Masuda, beloved sister of Eli Buzaglo, whose neshama should have an aliyah as well. This week we have the privilege of studying together Parshas Vayera, page 78, in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And I hope everybody will follow along inside. Hold on, just need to take care of one piece of technology over here. Vayera lav Hashem be'elonei mamrei. Kosh speaks to Avram, appears to Avram. We're all familiar with the opening of this parsha and the reminder and the message of the significance of Bikor Cholem, that Hashem is visiting Avram upon the circumcision, upon the uh, elective surgery, essentially, that he gave himself, which was really extraordinary at an advanced age. We didn't get into last week why that was at such an advanced age. We all know the story. Avram is sitting outside in the heat of the day, and he's baking in the sun because for Avram Avinu is such a magnanimous, benevolent, kind, good person, the pain of not being hospitable was more unbearable. That pain was more acute than it would be to, uh, to be healing inside the pain of the surgery itself. And so Hashem creates these uh, Arab nomads, these wanderers who come, Avram feeds them, and we all know the story. I'm going to begin today. We've been spending this year, I've been sharing with you beautiful insights of Rav Yisrael Mayor, Rav Yisrael Mayor Druk, a great uh, Rosh Hashiva in Yerushalayim, and uh, from his Sefer Eish Tamid, and I want to share with you this morning some opening pieces in that Sefer, which I found really, really inspiring. Again, our goal is Parsha Perspectives, but for today, to extract from the Parsha lessons and messages that inform and inspire our contemporary times. The Parsha is not archaic, it's not arcane, it's not outdated, it didn't expire but its messages and its stories and its inspiration serve us each and every day. Rashi says, Hashem came to visit the sick. It was the third day after his bris. And Hashem came in order to inquire into his well-being, in order to ask how he is. The Rambam in Hilchos Avel, Listen to this interesting halacha. The Rambam in the 14th chapter of Hilchas Ava, where he deals with the laws of Bikr Cholim, the Rambam says the following, When you go visit the sick, don't sit on the bed and don't sit on a chair, nor on a bench, don't position yourself or sit in a place which is elevated, which is high, and not, not above the head, of the sick of the individual person. Ella, misatef, cloak yourself, v'yoshev lamata mimarashosov, and sit below where the head is, and this is a key component, the goal of our shir is not to review the laws of Bikr Cholam, but that is worth reviewing another time. You have to daven for the sick person. If you didn't daven for the sick person, you've not been Yotze Bikr Cholam. You could come and deliver a delicious pastrami on rye with Russian dressing and French fries. I don't recommend that if they're recovering from a cardiac issue in the hospital. But you could come and deliver the most delicious, the most outstanding meal. You could come and take care of them in every which way. But if you did not pause on that visit to say, Hashem, have compassion. Give a full, speedy, and painless recovery. If you're not mavakish rachamim, if you don't daven in the context of visiting the sick, you are not yotze. You are not yotze biker cholam. A very, very important component of biker cholam. But listen to the Rambam. The Rambam here in Hilchos biker cholam. The Rambam ends Hilchos and he says mavakish lav rachamim. You daven for the sick person ve yotze, and then zaygezunt, and then it's time to leave. Here the Rambam is giving the formula. The Rambam is giving a prescription. What is the proper behavior when you are visiting and uplifting the sick? Don't sit in a high place elevated. Sit below because the Shekhinah is found at the head of the sick person. And Davin, take advantage that the Shekhinah, that the Almighty is there and appeal for the well-being of that person. And the and then leave. And answer of Druk, where in the world did the Rambam get that last word of the halacha? Where did he derive that? That's a halacha. First of all, why does the Rambam have to say it? When you visit the sick, do you bring luggage with you? Did you ever have intention to move in? Are you coming to stay permanently? 
visit someone sick in their home, let alone in a hospital or a rehab center, you're not there forever, you're not there permanently. So why does the Ramam feel compelled to conclude the halacha by telling you, say, oh, by the way, don't forget to leave. Don't forget that there's going to come a time that it's time to leave. So says Rav Jurok, The mitzvah is not only to visit the sick, but it's also a mitzvah to leave the sick person. Because we all know, whether it's achnas asorchem or bikrocholem or nicham avelem, we all know whether it comes to the hospitality offered with achnas asorchem, or when it comes to the mitzvah of when we comfort the mourner, or when it comes to the mitzvah of when we're visiting the sick, that not only is it a mitzvah to come, it's a mitzvah to know when to leave. When you stay too long, when you overstay your welcome, when you now place the burden on the mourner or on the sick person to have to entertain you, to cause them a discomfort that they're ready for you to leave and you stay, then you have undone the very mitzvah for why you're there to begin with. So the Rambam says, not only is there a mitzvah to come, but there's also a mitzvah to leave. But one does Rav Druk, where'd the Rambam get that from? Where'd the Rambam derive that from? You're not trying to put a burden. See, all of these mitzvahs, the goal is the recipient of the mitzvah. The goal is that the guest has hospitality. The goal is the sick person has a visitor. The goal is that the mourner is comforted. It's not to help ourselves. We don't go when it's convenient for us. We don't stay as long because it's corona, we're distanced, we have no company, we have no socializing, so at least on the shiva call, I'm going to move in for the whole day because at least I can connect with another. No, the goal is not for us, the goal is for the recipient. Where'd the Ram get this from? The Gemara Shabbos Daf Yudbeis. Hanichlus Tavakir Sachol Leishu Agav Beimitav Lagav Bekizol Yamasatav Yoshu Lefanam Nishishkin Lamal Mirashosav and so on. Divrei Gemara. The Ramam quoted the Gemara almost verbatim. However, the Rambam added an extra word. The word Viyotze. The notion that when it's time to leave, you need to leave. The Rambam added. The Rambam threw in on his own. That does not appear in the Gemara. Where did he get that from? Says Rav Druk. You know where he got it from. Why are we learning about this in a Parsha class? I'll give you one guess. Because this is the source. This is the central source of Bikr Cholim, the Almighty Hashem Himself. The Malachim, the angels, came to visit Avram when he was sick and recuperating. And Avram says to them, Avram says, on page 78, he says to them, If I find favor in your eyes, please pass not away from your servant. Come, take some water and wash your feet and rest under the tree. So we'll give you some food. So Avram Avinu turns to these, he thinks these guests, and he says to them, No, take a load off, wash your feet. Take off your shoes, have something to eat, have a drink, rest, lean on the tree. And then, how does he end? Achar ta'avoru avartem He says, and then go on your way. Achar ta'avoru. Then you'll go on your way. Is that hospitable? Come. And then, by the way, when I'm done feeding you, don't forget to leave. The Alshech is bothered. Why does Avram tell the guests? How hospitable is that? Welcome to my home for Shabbos dinner, for Shabbos lunch. It's so nice to have you. We're going to have a beautiful meal. Just don't forget when we're done to leave. Don't forget when I'm ready for you to exit, it's time to go. When I take a nap at the table or I go lie down on the couch or when I sing Shira Malos, that's your hint, it's time to go. Why does Avram, where's the hospitality in telling his guests, I'm going to feed you, lean on the tree, relax, take your shoes off, and achar ta'avroda, and don't forget afterwards that it's time, that it's time to go. So the Ashach also is bothered by this. So says Rav Druk, this is the source for the Rambam. Avram Avinu is recuperating. Avram Avinu is recovering from his surgery. 
This is the most significant day. The third day is the most painful day. So Avram is telling them, don't forget, you're doing Bikr Cholem. I'm doing Hachnas Asorchem. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to host you. And you're doing Bikr Cholem. You're visiting me. Don't forget Achar Ta'avoru. Don't forget to leave. So, Avram had no hesitation. So therefore, Avram Avinu is grateful to have them. He's eager to welcome them. However, they need to know not only when it's time to come, when it's time to go. It's a very important halacha in paying a shiva call, a very important halacha when doing bikr cholam. It's a very important halacha when you're a guest in someone's home to know not only the mitzvah of showing up, but to know the mitzvah of when it's time to leave. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't come when it's inconvenient for the person, but it's convenient for you. They are the recipient. They should be the focus of this mitzvah. It's not in order to make us feel better. Okay, next I want to continue with another piece in Ravdruk. This is a fantastic piece. A fantastic piece. Ravdruk is dealing with the continuation of these psukim. Hashem appears to Avram. Avram is sitting at the entrance of the tent. And Avram, by the way, interrupts his conversation from which Chazal, our rabbis, deduce Godel Achnasus Orchem Me Kabbalas Chapinah It is greater. By the way, not shakul. It's not equal. It's greater. Why didn't they just say it's equal? That's a discussion, which I'm not going to get into now. They said it's greater, greater to welcome guests than it is to continue a conversation with Hashem. And we mention this each and every year. If you're listening to more than one parsha this year, I already know I've said this before, that we say it each and every year. Why does Hashem, why is He satisfied? The God Almighty has called you and you get a call on call waiting. Remember call waiting? And you say to Hashem, could, could I, I see there's another call coming in. I just, I wanted to see who it is. Do you mind if I just take this other call? You're the Rebbe Shalom, you're the Almighty. You have the most powerful creator on the line. And you're going to put him on hold while you take the call waiting, while you take the call on the other line? How in the world did Avram conclude, Why does that make sense? How could it be Gadol? How could it be greater? And I say every year the following metaphor. Imagine you, the father, you, the mother, call your child. And they should show covet. You're the mother, you're the father, you brought them life, you gave them life, you brought them in this world, you've raised them. And if you want to talk, then they should honor you by continuing that conversation. And you wouldn't tolerate if they say, do you mind if my friend is calling? Or do you mind if I just take this other call? But if they say, it's my sibling calling and they need me. Do you mind if I take a call from your other child, from my sibling who needs my help? What parent doesn't rush to say, absolutely hang up with me and go talk to your brother, go talk to your sister, go help them out, go step in. Is there a greater nachas from a parent than when the child is emulating and imitating, which is the greatest form of flattery? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, given the choice, would rather us be like him than talk to him. Which is why if you're in the middle of Shema, there are appropriate times when you interrupt in order to entertain a conversation. Sometimes in order to even initiate a conversation. Because Hashem says when you have the opportunity, whether either speaking about me or being like me, I'd rather you be like me. Go step in for your other children. That's what's going on over here. Avram raises his eyes. And there are these three men that are standing over him. He sees and he runs me from the opening of the tent. And he says, Don't leave. I want to host you. Take some water and wash your feet and rest on the tree. Zagdrashi says Rashi on this Pasuk. The sun is usually inside a pouch. The sun is usually inside of a casing in order to mitigate the heat so it doesn't absolutely obliterate humanity. Hashem took the sun out of the pouch. In other words, it was a boka summer day, unbearably hot, so that Avram was in such pain that there was no one to host. There were no guests coming. Hashem orchestrated events so he would have. Asks Rav Druk, and it's safer Eish Talmud. It's not translated. I've been asked. As far as I know, it's not yet translated into English. Previously, I think last year or two years ago, we studied, again, this is the central source for Hachnasas Orchem. So much of learning Hachnasas Orchem, we learn from here the story of how Avram offered hospitality to his guests. But Rav Druk is asking a very fundamental, a very simple and a somewhat obvious question. Avram looks out and there's no one who needs hospitality. Why is he in pain? 
If you look outside and you see the homeless and you see the indigent and the poor, if you look out and you see the widow and the orphan, if you look out and you see the people who are suffering and struggling, and you say, what was me? I wish I could take care of them all. I'm in such pain because I want to help them all, and yet I'm not in a position to do so. I understand why you have pain as a result. But when Avram looks out and he sees, there's nobody who needs. Nobody's hungry. Nobody's homeless. Why is he in pain? Shouldn't the pain from the inability to offer hospitality come from the fact that there are those who need hospitality? If no one needs hospitality, why are you in pain that you're not offering it? Can imagine you say, you know, you call the rabbi. And you say, I want to go do some Bikr Cholim. Who from the shul is sick? I want to go visit. You say, you know what? You've caught me on a good day, a good week. Baruch Hashem, thank God. Nobody from the shul is sick. What you say? Oh, I can't believe it. I'm so bummed out. I'm so depressed. I really wanted to visit the sick. I can't believe nobody's sick. What do you mean? You visit the sick because you're helping the sick. If there's no one sick, be relieved, joyous, and happy. There's no one who needs a visit. Avram should be happy. If he's eager to offer hospitality, be grateful everyone is so well positioned that no one needs hospitality. The whole idea of hospitality is when somebody's on the way, they need help. If it's so hot out that everyone is home, so... So if Druk's asking this fundamental question, I don't know if it ever occurred to you, but the parsha begins with a description of how bummed out, I think that's the Rashi, he uses the word bummed out, how bummed out Avram is that he has no one to host. The question is why? So listen to what he answers. The Gemara says in Bamatsiya, in the merit of the butter and the milk that was given to the guests, the Jewish people merited to have access to the man, the heavenly bread that descended. And in the merit of standing over them, of caring for their needs, we merited that the cloud would be over us, protecting us. And in the merit of, new, quench your thirst, have some water. We merited the well of Miriam. Avram was famous for his hospitality. He was always offering water. He was always offering food. He was always offering a comfortable pillow. So shouldn't his descendants, his progeny, have merited these great things? The man, the heavenly bread, the protective cloud, and the well, in the merit of a lifetime of hospitality? What is it about this particular hospitality? What is special or unique about this hospitality to these guests that earned his descendants these great blessings? Moreover, the question is compounded when you think about the fact that these were not even guests who needed help. These are angels. They're going through a facade. They deserve an Oscar for their acting as if they were eating, as if they were washing their feet, as if they needed anything. These were angels. They needed nothing. So not only is this not a greater act of hospitality for which he should be rewarded, it is in some ways a lesser act because he's taking care of angels who don't even need his help? It's a great question. So two questions one deserve Druk. Number one, why is Avram pained from not being able to be hospitable? Nobody needed hosting. Shouldn't be pained by that. Should be overjoyed by that. Number two, why is he getting a reward for this hospitality in general, in particular rather, when he offered such great hospitality in general, particularly when you consider that the particular hospitality was to people who didn't need to be hosted, who were angels to begin with? These are the questions of Rav Druk. Listen to his answer. The Torah doesn't elaborate on Avram Sachnas Zorchim in other contexts and other places. It makes one allusion in a simple phrase that Avram planted a tree and Chazal Darshan, the Rashi Tevos, it's an acronym. Eshal stands for Achila, Shtia, Levaya. Eating, drinking, and escorting. Why not elaborate and spell out the great acts of Chesed of Avram? Good. So he says the following. Nira Levar, Yesh Chesed 
so, Cesar of Druk, there are two types of chesed. There are two drivers of why we do chesed, of why we extend ourselves to help someone else. It could be that we give charity, it could be we offer hospitality, it could be we lift the spirits, it could be we visit the sick, it could be we comfort the mourner. We could be driven and motivated, inspired to do any of those things for one of two reasons. We could, we could do, I have to drink hot coffee, it's freezing cold in Boca. I think it's like 73 or 74 today. Everybody's bringing out the fleece and the sweater. Baruch Hashem, it's November. So one of two reasons. Number one, empathy. You see somebody who's struggling, you see somebody who's suffering, and that's uncomfortable for you. It's uncomfortable for me to be in the vicinity of you when you're suffering. I empathize with your feeling. I have sympathy for you. I have rachamim, I have rachmanis for you. And so I step up, and I do something in order to make you feel better, which makes me feel better, because I have empathy for what you're going through. But there's another type of chesed. And the other type of chesed is where it's not an empathy for you and for your suffering, but it's part of my very nature and it's part of my very character. I am a giving person. It's not just that I am a person doing chesed, but I'm a bal chesed. In other words, you could say, you know what, I'd really rather not be called upon by the chesed committee. I'd really not have to extend myself. I'd really, not have to, I'd really rather not have to do anything for anyone else. If I see someone suffering or struggling, I will step up because I'm a decent person and I don't want anyone around me to be uncomfortable or suffering. So if asked, or if I see, I will step up. That's the person who says, I'd really prefer not, but if I have to, I will. But there's a second type of person who's driven to do chesed, not because they empathize with the person who's suffering or struggling, but who says, I have a chesed personality. Person who says, I'm a Baal chesed. And then It wasn't, I have a Rachmanus on you, so I do chesed for you. I can't stand to see somebody who's traveling, who's hungry, who's tired, who has no place to rest. Avram, what drove him was a benevolence, was an altruism, was a kindness. Avram was overflowing with this need to give, to do good. And therefore, even on an incredibly hot day, an oppressively hot day, and nobody else needed food, everybody was staying home, Avram said, my chesed is not driven by a Rachmanis for you, my chesed is driven by trying to realize my own character by trying to imitate and emulate the Almighty, by trying to, by being a chesed personality, it's who I am, it's what I want to give. That's why Hashem created the world. God, the Kabbalists explain, now is not the time, but why did Hashem create the world? If we were not created, none of us would have been here to miss it. We wouldn't have noticed that we weren't created. So why does the Almighty, omnipotent, infinite being create a world that wouldn't have missed not being created? What motivated God? Why did God create the world? Now, any answer that you'll give that includes the word that Hashem needed is obviously erroneous. It's wrong. Why? Because God is omnipotent, infinite, and perfect. He has no needs. So if you're going to say that God created the world because Ein Melech below Am, there's no king without a people. He needed a people so he could be the king. Then you're describing God as having a need. He has no needs. He's perfect. That can't be the answer. So the Kabbalists explain, why did God create the world? The answer is, it was the greatest act of altruism. It was a pure good and kindness to give of himself to others. We can't even identify. We can't even comprehend that. Why? Because every act of good that we do has some kickback. Let's say you do some great chesed. You give lots of charity or you do kindness and you don't tell anyone else. You'll say, what kickback do I have? They didn't honor me at the dinner. Rabbi didn't speak about me from the pulpit. Nobody knows I even did it. You've got the good feeling of knowing that you did something good that nobody else knows. That in itself is a kickback, is a return that you get. Every good that we do as finite human beings, as mere mortals, has a return on it. Everything that we do. Only the Almighty, only God is able to do something purely altruistic, purely good. And the pure good He did was creating a world. We spend our lives trying to imitate that. 
We come as close as we can to it. And therefore we try to be as altruistic and benevolent as we can. And that's what the Pasuk means. Olam chesed yibaneh. The world exists on chesed. Shebara olam al-Hashem kach. He created a world for us to emulate and imitate Him. He created a world for us to try to be benevolent like Him. He created a world not just for us to have Rahmanas when we see someone suffering. He created a world for us to try to realize the goodness and the kindness in us. So therefore, if a person says that being good and kind and being generous and hospitable is not just a way of relieving suffering of another, it's not just about my empathy for another, but it's part of realizing who I'm meant to be and who I'm meant to become, that it means that if I have no way to express that and to realize that, if there is no recipient of it, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. If I'm trying to work on myself and I'm trying to cultivate within myself my selflessness and my giving and my altruism and my benevolence and they say, hospital shut down, no visits. No one's guests, no achnasus orchem. No, everyone has money, everyone has what they need, no need for tzedakah. I'm not relieved by that. I'm disappointed and frustrated by it because my act of giving was never about rachmanus and relieving the suffering of the other alone. My act of giving was also about my personal growth and realizing who I could be and what I meant to become of becoming as close to God as I can. Hashem, the Almighty, is benevolent, altruistic, kind, and I am trying to train myself, condition myself to be that way as well. And all this answers our questions. All this explains this kindness of Avram Avinu. That Avram Avinu, that Avram Avinu, that Avram, our forefather, is bothered, he's pained. He's not relieved that there's no travelers who need chesed. He's pained. His chesed wasn't just about empathy. His chesed was about conditioning himself. This is the one he gets the greatest reward for, even though they're mere angels. Why? Because they didn't even really need it, and it wasn't about them. It was about his giving. When we do chesed, it's not only the recipient. They're doing us the favor. They're giving us the opportunity to become better, to improve, to give good, and that's what we're grateful for. And we are the progeny. We are the children. We are the offspring of Avram. We are to be like Avram and to emulate and to walk in his ways, to not just do it from a position of empathy, but to do good and give good from a position of wanting to be the best that we, that we can. Rav Druk goes on and he has other, other divrei Torah that, that explain this. That if you make the chasan and kala happy, you're giving to them. He has other divrei Torah, but we will run out of time. Moving right along. Still on page 78 in the Arts Girl Stol Avram says, Take a little water, wash your feet, lean on the tree. And wonders Rav Druk, we're opening with three Rav Druks, Chazaka of Rav Druk, three Rav Druks to open. If you love Rav Druk, you're going to love this Parsha class. If you don't, don't worry, we're getting to other ideas too. So Rav Druk is bothered by the following. Again, Avram is the paradigm of Chesed. Avram is the father of Chesed. First of all, Avram's Chesed included, don't forget to leave. Shkoyach for coming, don't forget to leave. That gave us one insight into Chesed. Now he says to them, Yukach nam ma'at mayim. No, take a little water. What do you mean take a little water? Have as much water as you want. If you are the paradigm, the paragon of Chesed, then what is he limiting them? Have as many diet peach apples as you want. Eat as much potato kugel as you want. Take as many slices of challah, whatever thickness you want. Enjoy. What is Avram limiting them? Yukach nahav ma'at. Just take ma'at mayim. Why? He should have brought mayim b'shefa. Should have been overflowing. Bligvul. With no boundary, no end. Nidivuso laman He was so hospitable, so kind. He didn't care about it for himself. He wanted to share with others. So why does he say ma'at mayim? Biyoser tamua. And even more troubling, says Rav Druk. He gave everything else in abundance. The Pasuk says, Avram. Avram ran to the cattle, the livestock, and he took some veal, he took some soft, lean meat. Avram gave, now I wouldn't have been very happy if I was one of these guests. I don't eat tongue. My policy is I don't taste anything that tastes me back. So I don't eat tongue, I don't enjoy tongue. Seeing those taste buds pop up on the tongue, Nisht from here, not from me. However, the Gemara says that Avram gave what was the greatest delicacy at the time. You know what the greatest delicacy was? Tongue. Tongue dipped in. There's a staying power to some recipes. What is tongue delicious in? A honey mustard, a mustard sauce. Gimel Lashona says the Gemara, Bechardel. Avram served the angels three tongues in mustard. 
So how do you give three angels three tongues? Unless he had some nuclear, you know, animal that were raised in Chernobyl, each of these cows should have had one tongue. So what does it mean about Avram's generosity? If he gave each one a tongue dipped in mustard, what did Avram do? He slaughtered three of his livestock. That's very expensive. I don't know how much livestock goes for. My friend Rabbi Stephen Weil could tell you. But it's expensive. For three men that could have enjoyed one cow with plenty of meat left over, he shechted three animals <coughs> so he could give each one its own tongue. So what do you see? That Avram provided in abundance. Whatever you want, however much you want, enjoy. Eskizunt. And yet when it comes to the water, yukachna ma'atmayim. Take a little bit of water. What's going on? Says Rav Druk based on the Gemara Bab Metziah Pevav. When it came to the tongues, when it came to slaughtering the animals, Avram ran on his own. Ratz Avram el he ran on his own. When it came to, however, the water, he did it through a shliach. At that moment, Avram summoned his servants, his family, and he said, No, come get them some water. So when you're willing to do the mitzvah, you can provide and schlep and carry in abundance. But when you are recruiting others to do it with you, it's not fair for you to suggest that they should schlep in abundance when it's on their shoulders. When it comes to the things he did himself personally and directly, he wasn't stingy. He didn't hold back. But when he needed to do it with an agent, because he asked his family to get involved, it was not fair. We learn a very important lesson from here. Don't be a tzaddik on someone else's cheshbon. Don't be a tzaddik on someone else's cheshbon. Be a tzaddik on your own cheshbon. You want to schlep? You want to volunteer? You want to offer? Go to the ends of the earth. But when you're assigning your children, your family, somebody else to do something, don't be a tzaddik on somebody else's cheshbon. There's a famous story of Yisrael Salanter, who was a guest at the home of somebody very wealthy. And when it was his turn to go wash his hands for Hamotzi, the great Rav Yisrael Salanta, the founder of the Muslim movement, washed his hands with the bare minimum of water. He used very, very little water, not in abundance. He used the minimum amount of water to halachically be considered he washed his hands. So says the Gvir, says the host, the wealthy host, no, why are you using so little water? Use a lot more water in abundance. So Rav Yisrael Salanta said to him, Yesh it's true there's a lot of water here in the pitcher. But your maid, your housekeeper, your butler is the one schlepping the water in order to prepare it for us to wash. So it's true there's a lot of water, but you know the effort to get the water here? I'm not going to fulfill a chumrah, a stringency in washing my hands on the back, literally, of the schlepper who has to bring the water. Rav Salanter famously said, Rav Salanter, one, uh, one of his disciples once said to him, buying matzah. What's the chumrah I should look for in buying matzah? What's the chumrah? So there's all kinds of chumras, you know, in uh, how long, how many minutes, or how well they clean it in between, or machine matzah, hand matzah, a lot of chumras in matzah, the bubbles in the matzah, it's a lot of chumras, a lot of stringencies in matzah. You know what Rabbi Shosh Salanter entered? You know what the chumrah that you should follow is? Make sure the women who work in the matzah factory are paid on time. That's the chumrah you should follow when it comes to matzah. That was Rabbi Shosh Salanter the father and founder of the Muslim movement. That was his emphasis on how we treat people, on how we care about people. And there are countless stories of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter saying, be strict and be stringent, be vigilant in halacha and following Jewish law, but only when you're the one impacted by it. Don't do it on the backs of others. And so therefore, when he washed his hands, he said, yes, there's a lot of water to wash my hands. But the schlepper, the butler, the housekeeper, the maid, your child is the one who's got to fill the water and bring more water. So I'm using the bare minimum. It's not fair to me to use abundance on their back. And that's what's going on with Avram Avinu. When it came to Avram going to slaughter the animals to bring three tongues dipped in mustard, he ran and he brought an abundance. But when it came to what he asked his family to do and his servants to do, then ma'atmayim, only bring a little. Rav Druk says, you know, you know, the people who put their talisim on, 
When a man puts it now, it's socially distanced, so it's safe. Everyone's eyes are protected. You don't need goggles because you're at least six feet from the next person. But before we were socially distanced from the next person, you could lose your eye when the guy next to you was putting his towels on. If he did it with such vigor and enthusiasm that he put his towels on and flipped it over his shoulder and whipped it, he could knock your eye out. Knock your eye out. Don't be so zaras. Don't have such enthusiasm putting on your talus at the expense of the eyeball of the person standing next to you. That is the message, that is the lesson. The Gemara says in Chulun, the Chasidah is osa chesedim The bird, the Chasidah, is called the Chasidah because she does a chesed with her friends. The Achbar is called a Russia because it sees a piece of bread and it calls the friends to come eat it. Why is he called a Russia? He's doing a chesed too. The answer is the Chasidah gives of what it has to the other. It's called a chesed. But the achbar calls the friends to cannibalize from one another. That's called a rasha. So chesed is when we extend ourselves, but not, but not the opposite. Okay. Very good. Number number two. Ready for of Druk number four? This is the last of Druk. I take that back. We've got a lot more of Druk. But too bad. He's got amazing stuff in this week's parasha. Rav Druk continues. So we just said that he took it through a shliach, and that's why he minimized the amount. Oh, now, Rashi here, Rashi here, on Yukach Ma'am, Rashi tells us he took it through a shliach. And because Avram didn't bring it directly, and he did it only through a shliach, through an agent, he recruited someone else to do it, Hashem later, Hashem later took care of us, but only through an intermediary, only through an agent. Why? Since Avram used an agent to take care of his guests, Hashem only took care of us through an agent. Azoy's like Rashi, that's in Rashi here. The Rashi gets that from the, from the Gemara. So, one does Rav Druk, and this is a great question. What did Avram do wrong? Isn't that the right chinuch? Isn't that the way we educate our children? To involve them? To recruit them? To take them with us? No, kinderlach, come, we're going to the hospital. Kinderlach, walk the guest to the door. Kinderlach, bring the air conditioning guy or bring the FedEx guy or bring the, Am- the Amazon delivery person who works exclusively for you practically, bring him a drink, a cold drink, get him something. Isn't that the more correct thing? Hashem here seems to hold Avram accountable that he didn't jump up and bring himself, that he sat back and told others, you go bring. Isn't that the way that you educate? Isn't that the way that you inspire? What did he do wrong that later Hashem says, when I do for you, I also only do through an intermediary. What did he do wrong? Says Rav Druk, near Levar, you know what the answer is? Kasherotzen l'chanech is aben. When you want to educate someone, ikar achinach wa'yidei sheyira dugma ishis v'lo b'tzivu shiyase. You could teach somebody through commanding, through dictating what to do, or you could teach through the personal example. So God is telling Avram, Avram, you were trying to teach. You know what the best method of teaching is? Not with your words, but with your actions. Get up and do it yourself. That is the best way to teach. And that's what we understand, and we're going to continue with this in a moment. Hashem says, I'm going to destroy stone. Skip ahead for a moment. Bottom of the next page, page 80. What happens? We have the next Malach who comes and tells them you're having a child. Beautiful. What's the next story? Hashem says, uh oh, it's time to destroy stone. Hashem Amar, Hashem says, to whom does it say it? To himself. Can I keep from Avram what I'm about to do? This is a world that has utterly failed me. This is a paganist, idolatrous world of selfish people. I've got one person who gets it. His name is Avram. I'm so devoted. Avram is so devoted to me. I'm devoted to him. Can I really keep this from Avram, what I'm about to do? I've got to tell him. I've got to tell him. I've got to tell him the secret. I've got to tell him what I'm about to do with stone. So the Pasuk says, Avram was a great nation. He was blessed all the people, the nations of the world, as Hashem had promised him in last week's parsha. And now why? God gives us the reason. I so love Avraham. How can I possibly keep this from him? I have to tell him what I'm about to do. And why do I love Avraham? Why do I feel so compelled? Why am I unable to keep it back from him? You know why I love him? You know why I love him? 
what would you have said? How would you expect that Pasuk to end? I would think God would say, you know why I love him? Because he is preaching about me. Everyone else is worshiping these idols, these made-up things. He talks about me. Why do I love him? Everybody else is selfish, and his tent is open on four sides. He's selfless? Why do I love him? He's promoting my brand. He's promoting my name. He's fulfilling the mission. He's advancing the cause. That's not what he says at all. What does Hashem say? You know why I love him? You know why I'm incapable of holding this back from him? Because I know. He commands his children and his household after him. And what does he command his children and household? To protect and observe the path of Hashem. To do charity and justice. That's why I love him. One does Rav Druk. Hashem says, I love Avram because he teaches his children so effectively, because he communicates and transmits the values so well, so authentically. One does Rav Druk, where do we see Avram doing that? Hashem here proclaims, the reason that I can't hold back is, where does it say it? Where does it say that Avram taught the family? Where does it say he sat them down and educated them? Where does it say it? Says Rav Druk, you know what the answer is? When Avram did it, that was his teaching. Avram never used his words. He taught and he transmitted with his actions. Habir, Personal example is the most powerful teaching. More than words is personal example. When you see the father do it, so if you saw Avram, you stood that he stood for charity and justice. That was who he was. It was what he exuded. It was how he spoke. It's what drove every decision he made. And that was his teaching it to the next generation. He didn't need to say it. He didn't need to communicate it. He didn't need to write it on a whiteboard. Why not? because he lived it. And when he lived it, that is the most effective way of communicating it. It's the most effective way of teaching it. Rav Druk doesn't say this, but many explain on Pirkei Avos. Often on Pirkei Avos, we reference a great sage, and we say, Hu haya Omer. Hillel, Shammai, whomever. Hu haya Omer. He used to say, so the simple understanding is, Hu haya Omer means, he used to say, Goldberg's got the Torah that he loves, that are his favorite. He likes to say the same Dvar Torah all the time. On Parshas Vayera, he always says that thing about Gadolach Nasus Orchim. Who Haya Omer? He used to always say. My Rosh Hashiva used to say. My Rebbe used to say. The Rav of Maishu used to say. That's the simple understanding. Others explain, you know what Hu Haya Omer means? Who? He! In the way he lived his life, in his lifestyle, in his choices, in his personal conduct. Who Haya Omer? The way he lived his life, Haya Omer. That used to say. It wasn't that he taught this with words. It wasn't in drushas and it wasn't in articles. Who? In his mahus, in his personal example, in the life he led, Haya Omer. And what a powerful, powerful message for us from Rav Druk, that if we want our children to embrace our values, if we want our children to walk in our way, we want our children to imitate our, our lives, it's not going to be by communicating. It's not going to be with words or with words alone. But the more powerful, the more profound, the more penetrating, the more lasting will be by personal example. So the Torah never tells us that Avram actually communicated, but he did communicate. How did he communicate? He communicated with his very behavior and with his actions. And then Rav Druk alludes that we're not going to, we don't have time, but Rav Schwab in his Ma'en Beis HaShoeva has a beautiful vort on the story of Manoach and Eishas Manoach and of Shimshon about, uh, you see, it's personal example. You have to be a Nazir if you want your son to be a Nazir. You have to live that way if you want the ones around you to live that way. You have to show personal example. Now, this word, Laman Yedativ. Let's come back to that Pasuk. We're going to take a break from Rav Druk. We'll come back if we have time. Ki Yedativ. God says, I can't hold back. I can't contain myself. I have to tell Avram what I'm about to do. And why is he so driven? Because Ki Yedativ. Translate the words Ki Yedativ. You can't because you're all muted. I'll translate for you. Ki yedativ, I would think the root of the word yedativ is da'as, is knowledge. I know that Avram commands his children after him. But that's not what Rashi says. Look at Rashi. Ki yedativ, lashon chiba. It's a language of affection. Says Rashi, 
Kiyadativ means I cherish him. It's a language of affection. So Revolba, the great Mashkiach, wonders, why if you want to communicate affection, do you use the word Yedativ? Say Chiba, say love and affection, intimacy, connection, closeness. Why are you talking about Kiyadativ? The word Yedativ means I know him. So say, I am Mechavevim, I, I have affection for him. Why are you using the word knowledge? So listen to this insight of Revolba. Says Revolba, the terminology is used to describe affection because when you love someone, you bother to get to know them. If you don't bother to get to know somebody, if you don't care enough about them to know them, who are they? What makes them tick? What are their fears? What are their dreams? What are their aspirations? If it's all about you, then you don't really love them. Then you don't really love them. To love someone is to want to get to know someone. So therefore, that's what Rashi means. Kiyedativ is Lashon Chiba. If you're Mechabe of somebody, if you love them, then you get to know them. You care enough about getting to know them. You know, I set somebody up recently and uh, the girl wasn't interested in going on a second date. And my wife asked, why not? And the girl said, you know, it looked good on paper and things made sense and why not? And she said, frankly, the whole date, he didn't ask me one question about me. He just talked about him. I asked him about him. And he was very happy to tell me about him. And not once did he say, tell me about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? What's your job? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? Who are you voting for in the election even? Probably not a good question to ask on a date. But he didn't ask one question about me. So he's not going to make a good husband. One doesn't make a good spouse. One doesn't make a good parent. And one doesn't make a good friend. If you're so consumed by telling the other about you that you never make the space or find the time to ask about them. Kiyedativ, kiyedativ. Rashi says yedativ is lashon chiba. Because the chiba is gaining da'as. The affection you show someone else is caring enough to get to know them. Rav quotes his Rebbe, Rabbi Rucham, the Mashkiach, who once traveled by train from his hometown of Mir to Warsaw. In those days, uh, Jews would congregate in a designated car. They would travel together without fear. They would have a certain social circle. And Rav Yerucham bemoaned that by the time he reached the destination, the bemoaned, he, he um, was proud, he had come to know every passenger in that car. And he said, you know, most people, they get on the airplane, most people, they sit on the train, put your headphones in, you look down, don't make eye contact, not interested in making friends, don't want to meet anyone, don't tell me your name, don't tell me about your grandchildren, don't show me pictures of your recent vacation, I'm not on, we just happen to be on the same vehicle going to the same destination, I want nothing more than that. But Rav Yerucham said, you know, particularly among family, among the Jewish people, but really among humanity, among anybody, man yedativ, chiba, or basic kavod abrios. Do you care enough about others to say, what's your name? Where are you going? Tell me about it. And so on and so forth. To say good morning. It's an avas abrios. It's an avas yisrael. It's a chiba to care enough to ask and to get to know another. That is a magnificent insight. I love that insight of Revol on this parsha. Rabbi Salavitchik also weighs in. Lamana Shiyetzava is Bonov. And the Rav Oyu Chumash says the following Avram introduced the covenantal community. The covenant of Bris was signed and sealed by God, and it imposed an obligation not only on man, but on God as well, involving each side of the covenant. Was it unconditional, or did Avram have to meet certain conditions and obligations? And the answer is clear. Certain definite conditions were introduced, as we find here. Avram had to transmit all of his teachings to future generations. If Avram leaves no will, there is no obligation by God to uphold the covenant. Every member of the covenantal community must leave two wills. Listen carefully. Listen very carefully. It's a very important insight of the Rav. It's a parsha perspective for today. Every member of the covenantal community, if you're a Furam Haimisha Erlich, a Jew, every Jew, every human being, but certainly if you're a member of the covenantal community, needs to live two wills. Two wills. I'm going to give you a message here about estate planning. I'm not going to tell you, you know, how to organize or orchestrate your estate planning, but I'll tell you, said the Rav, you need two wills. A material will, in which you dispose of your personal wealth and belongings, and a spiritual will, in which you pass on the mandate to adhere to the Derech Hashem. God declares that Avram will entrust the spiritual treasure to his children and is therefore worthy of the covenant. According to the Raman, the word mitzvah means not merely a commandment. The word mitzvah is synonymous with the word sava'a, a will. If the spiritual will had not been carried out, the commandment, the covenant, would have terminated. So God's covenant was conditional. Hashem says, I'll be in this bris, I'll be in this covenant with you, but here's the deal. Only on condition 
that you leave it for your children and that you charge your children with it. Don't just leave your children a portfolio of stocks and mutual funds and bonds. Don't just leave your children real estate. Don't just leave your children cars and clothing and closets that have to be cleaned out. Your children need to find not only a wheel which will tell them how to divide the material things, your children need to discover that you've left them a tzava'a, a spiritual will, an ethical will, which tells them who you are and what you stood for and what you believe in and what your dreams and aspirations are for them. Now, it doesn't leave them in a box. The spiritual you leave them doesn't say, you have to wear this kind of yarmulke. If you don't wear this kippah, you don't get the real estate, you don't get the stocks and the bonds. The suggestion that you have to leave an ethical will at Tzava'a does not mean that you have to put them in a box of looking exactly like you. There's a diversity to Klal Yisrael, but it does mean that you say to them, here's my expectations. I want you to marry a Jew. I want you to be a proud Jew. I want you to be an observant Torah Jew. I want you to set aside time for Torah learning. I want you to daven. I want you to care about other people. I want you to care about the whole Jewish community. I want you to embrace the miracle of the modern state of Israel. Whatever your values are, whatever your emphasis, however you lived your life, don't just leave your children a will for material things. Leave them an ethical will. And that's what the Rav is quoting the Rambam. That the word tzava'a that we use for will comes from the same word as the root mitzvah. To be mitzavet, tzava'a. A will. Because the tzava'a is not just a commandment. If a spiritual will has not been carried out, the covenant is terminated. Avram was the first teacher, not to a few, but to tens of thousands. As the Rambam writes, the community organized around Avram consisted of students. The main aspect of the community was the teacher-pupil relationship rather than the biological father-son relationship. Avram's responsibility was to see to it that there was someone to pass on the tzavah to create a, con- a community of teachers and students of Mesora. This is the notion of transmission, of Mesora, of continuity. We involve and care ourselves not just about the here and now and today, but we have to be committed to a sense of continuity, and that is the tzavah. That is the ethical will and charge that we leave the next generation. Rabbi J.J. Schachter Whenever we have, uh, he said it at countless rabbinic conferences that he has held, he turns to the rabbis and he says, you know, God doesn't tell Avram, you know why I love you? And you know why I can't hold back from telling you what's going to happen? Not because you have tens of thousands of followers. It's all about your children. Don't be a Rav or a Rebetzin. Don't be in Chinach. Don't build a career. Don't be a community volunteer and lay leader at the expense of your children. Because when push came to shove, you know why God loved Avram? not because of the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of converts that Avram was involved in inspiring. But, Laman, but ultimately, what was the reason? Because, What matters most is Bonav and Beso Acharav. That's our most critical legacy. That's who we are and that's what we stand for. Okay. Included in this statement, God says, And what is it that you're going to teach them to do? V'shamru derech Hashem. What are the words V'shamru derech Hashem? So you waited long enough, it's time for an Imre Chaim, a Vizhnitzer, the Helega Vizhnitzer. So in a, what was Avram successful at transmitting? So we saw Rav Druk. How did he transmit it? What, is it? what was his methodology? Not with his words, with his personal example. We saw that for Hashem, that was the most important, that it wasn't just for the here and now, there was a continuity, that mitzvah, tzava'a, don't just leave a material well, an ethical will. But what was it that he commanded his children? What is it he inspired them to continue to do? What he, what he inspired them and what they continued was the Shamru Derech Hashem. What does that mean? They're observing the Derech Hashem. Says Rav, the Vishnitzer Rebbe, the Imr Chaim, the Shamru Derech Hashem La'asos, the Shamru is Milashen Va'aviv Shamar Es Hadavar. We're going to read later in Sefer Brishas that when Yosef is missing and he doesn't return back, it says about his father Yaakov, Aviv Shamar Es Hadavar that his father waited with eagerness and anticipation. The word shamar doesn't just mean to protect and safeguard. Shamar means to anticipate, to long, to look forward to. To be a Shomer Shabbos is not just to keep Shabbos on Shabbos, but to be a Shomer Shabbos the entire week long, to look forward, to anticipate, to long. V'shamru derech Hashem, she'yichaku b'chilyon v'tzimu nefesh lasos mitzvah Hashem. To have an appetite, a thirst, to want to fulfill the word of Hashem. V'shamru derech Hashem la'asos. V'shamru doesn't only mean to guard it when you're presented with it, but shamru means to thirst for it, to look forward to it, to count down to it. And what is it that they were looking forward to? What were they counting towards? What were they protecting? La'asos staka. Shneim yachad, says the Imre Chaim. Gam shmiris ha-Torah, v'gam nesinas staka. You have to observe Torah, and you have to give charity. 
Says the Imre Chaim, there are people who make mistake in both directions. There are some who say, I sit and I learn Torah. I don't have to volunteer for chesed, and I don't have to give tzedakah, and I don't have to do all that bein adam lachavero stuff, because I sit and I learn full time. Says the Imre Chaim, it's a terrible mistake. And then you have the opposite extreme. You have the people who say, I'm a good person, I'm a kind person, I'm a charitable person. Ah, the minutia, the details, observing the laws, learning the Torah, that's not for me. But I'm a good person, I'm a charitable person. What, Avram, what Hashem is telling Avram is, you know why I believe in you? You know I love you? You know why I can't hold back from you? Because you're teaching your children to do both. That you need both. You need la derech Hashem la tzedakah. You need to learn Torah. You need ben adam and ben adam lachavero. You need to be committed to learning Torah. And you need to be committed to living Torah. You need to be committed to the principle. And you need to be committed to the practice. You need to do both. And the combination of both. That's what you've successfully taught. And that's why I love your, and that's why I love your children. Now we all know that the Rambam... Oh, what time it is. Okay, we got halfway through the things I wanted to share with you. Oh, so much more. So the Rambam, will end with this. The Rambam at the end of Hilchus Deus, the end of the first parak, rather, of Hilchus Deus, the Rambam says the following famous thing. Maimonides' golden mean. The Rambam talks about the golden mean. Everybody's heard of the Shvil Hazahav. The Rambam, Maimonides' golden mean. Where does the Rambam write that? The end of the first chapter of Hilchus Deus. And he says the following, How should a person habituate, how should a person uh, um, condition themselves when it comes to these qualities? He doesn't talk about a golden mean. He calls it the middle of the road. The middle of the road. The Kotzker Rebbe famously said the middle of the road is for horses. But that's the Kotzker. The Ramam disagrees with the Kotzker. The Kotzker said the middle of the road is for horses. Kotzker was extreme, passion, fire, middle of the roads for horses. But the Ramam says, how should you live your life when it comes to every quality, when it comes to character? Don't be extreme. Emtsoyos, middle of the road. Where did the Ramam get this from? How did he know? Maybe we should be extreme. Maybe we should be extremely passionate and devoted. Maybe there are qualities which we should practice in the extreme. Had the Rambam know that we should live our lives and condition ourselves to have all of our qualities, our personality, be moderate, be measured, be what Rav Schechter calls normal, be normal. Emtsayos, anyone who's too extreme, too fanatical, to be a kitsoni, an extreme personality, it's not what Hashem wants. Had the Rambam know that? From where did the Rambam derive that? The Rambam says, because this is what's called the derech benon is being moderate, being measured, being normal, walking the golden mean. That is the very definition of derech Hashem. And this is what Avram taught his children. If you teach your children the golden mean to be emtsayos, to be Benonios, to go in the middle, to be measured and moderate, to be normal. If you teach your children, it brings tova uvracha. Don't be extreme, don't be fanatical, just be normal. It brings tova uvracha. How do you know? So the Rambam here is describing that the derech Hashem, that the Pasuk, Hashem says, Avram, I can't hold back from you. I have to tell you what I'm about to do. And why do I have to tell you? Why can't I hold back from you? Because I've cared enough about you to get to know you. I love you. And why do I love you? Because you're teaching your children through personal example how to find the combination of Torah and of Chesed, of Mishpat, of Tzedakah. And because Vishamru Derech Hashem, you're teaching them Derech Hashem. And what is Derech Hashem? You're teaching them to be normal. A Yiddishkeit and a Frumkeit that's normal. It's not extreme in either or any direction. Hashem loved Avram and Hashem wants us to live and to teach. You know, I, I, for a long time, I, I fear that there's a, a majority of Orthodox who don't use any other title than that modern or open or extreme or right wing or fanat. They're just, they're just, they're just Shomer Torah and Mitzvahs. And, and I think we need a new movement of normal Torah Jews. 
They're not modern Orthodox Jews. They're not, they're not ultra-Orthodox Jews. They're not open-Orthodox Jews. We'll call it normal Orthodox Jews. Normal. The Rambam Jews. Derech HaEntzai. That's what Hashem wants. That's Derech Hashem. The Shomru Derech Hashem. We have to protect normalcy. We have to stand up to fanaticism and extremism, to be moderate and to be easygoing and to be normal and to go in this, in this way. So the Rambam is describing the mode of conduct you have to maintain is moderation. Don't grow angry easily. Don't respond with being passive. Don't be too frugal. Don't be overly generous that you become poor yourself. Rambam says this is the legacy of Avram Avinu. Be normal. Be moderate. Be moderate. So that's a simple understanding. But Rabbi Soloveitchik has an additional layer of understanding. He says moderation is not the solution to every problem, nor is it the appropriate response to every situation. The golden mean must govern a person's general approach to life rather than dictate his conduct under all circumstances. The Rambam bids us to use sound judgment or reason when deciding how to act, rather than maintain a consistent pattern of behavior at one extreme. At times, a person has to act forcefully, while others call for mild. Some situations require one to deal exactly and inflexibly, other you have to be adaptable and willing to forego. The Rambam's derivation of this principle from our Pasuk appears to support the Rav's understanding. Hashem describes Avram as training his children. What is the Derech Hashem? It's the synthesis between kindness and justice. Now, kindness and justice seem incompatible. Kindness is not just. Justice lacks kindness. So that's what the Rav would say. When the Rambam tells us to go in the middle, he doesn't mean never act in the extreme, but he means be balanced in when you act in the extreme, which is a different way of understanding it. But I come back to the first way, be normal, be measured, be moderate. It's a normal Judaism, a normal Torah way of life. That is a legacy of Avram Avinu, and that is what Hashem wants from us as well. Like I said, we had a lot more to share and talk about, a lot more beautiful ideas. We'll have to save them for next year. Tonight, 7.30 p.m., people of the book online, Orachaim HaKadosh, those who've learned Parsha with me, we've learned many Orachaims together. Nevchayim Ibn Atar, who was he? Where did he live? What is the theme of the nature of his writing on the Torah, his commentary? Tonight, 7.30 p.m. on our YouTube channel, join live People of the Book, a new series that we are launching tonight, or continuing an old series, but relaunching, and I'm beginning it with People of the Book. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Everyone stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.